and welcome to another episode of the Jerry Lawler Show here on Podcast One. Uh, as always, we just want to thank you so much for downloading, supporting the show. We've gotten uh, you know such good feedback from the fans or the the reviews online. Uh, please, you know, do all of the uh, the usual subscribing, liking, yeah, leaving please. reviews, and uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Lawler Show. You can follow our star at Jerry Lawler, and uh, Jerry today. We have someone who was a huge part of your career, who some of yes. our fans may not be familiar with, Dave Brown from the Memphis Wrestling Days, one of the, in my opinion, half of the greatest announced team in wrestling history. I agree 100%. But you, and I also agree with the fact that a, a lot of people that probably listen to this um, podcast, because we are heard all around the world, right? I mean, everybody all over the world can hear this podcast, right? Yes, yes. That's what's great about Podcast One. We love you, Podcast One. Uh, even even Panini, I got to give a shout out to Panini over in Thailand. She listens every week. She texts me out on Twitter. I think this young lady. I, I even I even uh, sent you a text about her, and you said she's got to be the greatest fan of anybody ever. She like stays on. She like stays up to date every minute, twenty four seven, of what I'm doing on Twitter or on on uh, Facebook or Instagram, all of this sort of stuff, and she helps me out. From time to time, like she did uh, just yesterday, with uh, I, I was trying to, I was doing my best to uh, try try to get this tweet uh, out and and to plug the to plug the podcast. And I sent out the tweet, and all of a sudden, after I sent it out, uh, I realized that I don't know something was wrong because when I tried to you know hit the link or press click on the link to go to the podcast, uh, some error message would come up. And so I went, oh, doggone it. So I went right back and I deleted the tweet. And so then I redid the tweet and I sent it out again. And the same thing happened. And I said, I go back and delete the tweet. And all of a sudden I get a message from Panini saying, I think I see what you're trying to do. And I think that this is the problem. You're not capitalizing all the letters in the name of the show. And I went, what in the world? And sure enough, I went right back and retweeted it. And that was the problem. And so thank you, Panini, all the way over in Thailand for for taking care of the king here and uh, helping me be a little more computer literate on the, on things like that. But people are listening to the show everywhere and Panini I'm sure does know all about Dave Brown, but you gotta be, you gotta be pretty much a, uh, a Memphis wrestling uh, history guy to know about Dave, unless you live in the Memphis or the mid South area. But Lance Russell and Dave Brown were the commentators announcers or whatever you want to call them uh, on, on Memphis wrestling for years and years. I mean, throughout, throughout its entirety uh, from the late sixties, I think is when Dave started, he and Lance were, were partners there all the way up to the, to the late nineties. And so uh, we're going to, we're going to have Dave on today and talk a little bit about uh, gosh, I have so many things I want to ask Dave. And, and I know you're, you're a lifelong fan too. And, and I know you got a lot of things to ask Dave, right too. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been announcers that were more important to a wrestling TV show than those two. Uh, when I fell in love with Memphis TV, they were such a huge part of it. Just uh, seeing that statue, you know, doing the spin and then seeing them smiling at you. And you just knew you were in for a fun hour with your friends. It was well, great. you know what? And when what happened, though, back in the day, and this is something that most people today don't even realize. But back in the day, when before there was cable TV, when all the TV was like regionalized or or we had we had the territories in wrestling and the TV was like basically syndicated. In other words, our Memphis TV, our main our main TV show was 
filmed in Memphis on Saturday mornings and showed live in Memphis. And then we would take and make a tape of that and bicycle that tape around to all the major markets in our territory. And so Lance and Dave was known, uh, you know, and seen on TV every week and throughout the whole state of Tennessee, the whole state of Kentucky, Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi. And, and that was our territory. But by the same and so all our fans grew up knowing and loving Lance and Dave as the announcers. But by the same token, in the rest of the country and all these other different territories where people like like if you live if you live south of uh, or down to Jackson, Mississippi and south. Your, your territory was, was Bill Watts' territory, and it was called Mid-South Wrestling. And good old Jim Ross was the commentator that people grew up and listened to every, every Saturday morning on their show. Over, over in Atlanta and down in Florida, Gordon Soley. Gordon Soley was the guy that, uh, you know, was the announcer that everybody grew up with. And Gordon was a Gordon was probably because he was the first one to be on the be on that super station that everybody once he went from just being like a, a regional guy. Then it went to being broadcast nationwide on the TBS. Then Gordon Soley became, you know, he became like the announcer that everybody knew and loved and that sort of thing. But all of these different all of these different territories around the country had their own local announcers that everybody grew up with. And in our area here, Lance and Dave were, were the best. I mean, and, and I, you know, I got in the business and I worked with all of them and Gordon Soley was awesome as well. And then good old JR and I, but I think it's just because you said we grew up with these guys and they were the best to, as in my opinion of, of any broadcast team I've ever seen or worked with ever Lance Russell and Dave Brown. And we're going to have Dave Brown on this podcast today. And it's so funny because I think a lot of our listeners would probably think the voice of their childhood, who they consider the greatest announced team of all time, is you and Jim Ross. So we about maybe half and half of the two greatest teams ever. <laughs> well, you're, I, maybe you're right about that. I do hear that. We, Jr. and I hear that all the time. You're the voice of my childhood, and and you're right. From you know anybody when when Jr. started and I started together in about what 1993, something like that, or 94. Mm -hmm. For all of those years. Uh, everybody that was a kid then, all the way up till present day, we're what they grew up with. So you're right that that became uh, we became their favorites mainly because we were the only ones they could listen to. So it's it, yeah, it's it's just a cool thing, and and uh, I'm I'm real excited to have Dave Brown on here, but a little bit later on. Don't don't let me forget. I gotta ask him and have him talk about the Batman interview, my oh, favorite of all time. Cannot forget about that, absolutely. So, um, I think uh, everybody's probably a little curious about your thoughts. Of uh, first off, I just want to say it feels right when there's a pro wrestling show on a Monday night and Jerry the King Lawler is in the main event, uh, at least the main event segment, and uh, very uh, controversial. Uh, interesting thing that happened with Rusev and Lana and you in the middle of it. Uh, could you tell us anything about that experience on Monday? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that you're in the main event or the main event segment. Uh, when, when the, um, I think you, I think you and I talked about this before I even, uh, knew what was going to take place on Monday. I don't, I don't get any kind of notice or any kind of run sheet usually until I get to the show or get to the whatever the arena that we're going to be doing Raw in. When I get there that day, and I usually get in about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, there'll be um, a draft of basically of a format. And in other words, it's just basically they're trying to put together 
well, who's going to wrestle who and who's going to wrestle first and who's going to wrestle in the main event and that, that kind of thing. So that's what they spend a lot of the time saying, you know, which match do you think is more important? And these guys are all having these meetings all day long and, and they're trying to basically what we used to call book the show. You know, we're they're putting wrestlers against each other. They're making matches and then they're putting them in order they want them to be. And so um, if you remember, I, I put out a tweet or something or somewhere uh, a, a, because I, I, I just heard it from somebody. It just tied together about the fact that I had a King's Court last week uh, with Rusev in it. And and I don't know where somewhere I, I put out a tweet that said, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, my King's Court might turn into divorce court because I was just going to talking about the fact that these guys were, you know, having these issues. And we're talking about it on, on that King's Court. And then come, I didn't have, I had no idea that that was actually going to be a part of the show until I got there uh, on Monday. And then they were using, even using the same language. Is it going to be King's Court? Is it going to be Divorce Court? So, uh, and and I and I saw, you know, that the WWE was actually touting that it was going to be Divorce Court on uh, on the King's Court. So, and and the fact that you mentioned it being the main event segment. So I got there and I knew that I was going to have the uh, the King's Court. And so I got this first early draft of the run sheet and it's usually about literally it's about 15 or 16 pages long. So I'm start, I start with the first page, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, here's segment one and here's segment two and, and no me yet. So segment three and I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll probably be, it'll probably be like in the middle of the show, right? So get down. I got all the way down to segment eight. No, no, still what? Maybe they decided not to do it. I'm getting all the way over to segment 13 and 14. Now, and then like you said, I look on the la very last page, and there it is. It's the last segment of the show. It's like the main event of the show. And I thought, this can't be right. How can, they, how can, how can this be the uh, the last thing on the show? But but it, but it was, and that was. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I was shocked. I had no idea. I, I did have a little bit of an idea because we tried to rehearse it a little bit before uh, before right before the doors opened, and. I, I knew what they they wanted me to ask, and I and I knew that uh, that Lana was going to blame this whole affair with Bobby Lashley on the fact that at first she was going to blame it on the fact that Rusev was insisting that they have a baby, and she was worried, or she she was concerned that you know she didn't want to have a baby now at this point in her life because she still had a modeling career and she's on television every week and she didn't want to, you know, do what a pregnancy would, the effects that it would have on her body. And that was going to be the, that was going to be the whole uh, idea and the gist of why they were, you know, at odds about this thing. And that's what, the, that was the wedge that drove them apart. So that's the way, that's really the way I, we just did a short rehearsal. So that, and then bang, an hour later, it's time for the show to start. But apparently I don't know. I don't know how, who, or how it happened, but all of a sudden, when you see, uh, when you when you saw what happened live, and I had several people say, "Oh my gosh, your facial reactions were were uh, perfect," or, or and I'd, I'd look back at it and seen my facial reactions were so real because I had no idea what Lana what was going to come out of Lana's mouth wow. during that segment. And all of a sudden when she's, when the, when the, because you know, with, I mean, it seems like the show is, and, and I've, I've, I've always 
sort of been critical of the fact that I think we go try too hard to be politically correct. I think we could push the envelope a little more, uh, like sort of like we used to. Everybody always loves and talks about what the attitude era was like, but we but they miss it so bad. But then uh, and 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 it's like well, if you just can't get back to that anything like that. But so that was why when the first words that came out of Lana's mouth about when she said Rusev is a sex addict, I, my face, I mean, I think the color drained out of my face. I looked around like, did, it, did she just say that? Did I just hear what she said? And then he, and then uh, <laughs> she said, she said, all he wants to do is have sex with me all the time. And I looked at Rusev, and Rusev got this big smile on his face, and he looks at me and said, well, wouldn't you want to, Jerry? <laughs> and I said, uh, uh, I didn't know what to say. I swear, I was just like, I was uh, dumbfounded. You did a good and, job. Just being like, no, don't let her talk. Yes, you you kept it together. Yeah, that was well. The reason it was so good is because that was real. I had no idea what she was going to say, and when she said it, I was this, I was probably more shocked than anybody watching at home. And uh, you know, and then she started talking about where he wanted to have sex and all of these crazy things, and. Uh, you know, and I'm just then thinking, where on earth is this going to go? I mean, it was it was it was wild. And then, of course, then she finally did get around to the fact that she said that uh, the main reason, though, that all this started was because of uh, she said Rusev cheated on her, which was like a big revelation. But then she said, well, you know, how do you know this? And then she said, oh, well, Bobby Lashley told me so. So, well, of course, then that was then uh, when we were about to get into, well, can, how can you believe Bobby Lashley just Telling me that Rusev cheated. Of course, then the music hit. Down comes Lashley. We all know what happened next with Lana. Lana. I, I, could, I keep calling her Lana when it's actually Lana. But anyway, when then of course Lana hitting him with the kendo stick and then him grabbing the stick and then Lashley, you know, doing the low blow and all this sort of stuff. It just kind of it kind of went back into uh, I don't know. Kind of to me, sort of like an awkward situation. I don't know. I just I I I, I honestly feel bad for Rusev in this thing for real. I mean, I really do. I, I I think Rusev is just in a in a tough situation here, and it's it's almost it's almost too real life like for me to to uh, like it. And and you know, if you see, there's a lot of there's a lot of feedback, and and it seems like a lot of people are not crazy about this storyline, if you want to call it that. But I mean, this this to me is is sort of like this kind of stuff. If you think back at some of the things that you we used to do during the Attitude Era. I mean, this is this pales in comparison to that. But it's it's once again, it's like you got three hours. You got plenty of time to have plenty of great wrestling on the show. And this is just this is just a, a sort of a personal issue that can re- that can give people a reason to get invested as to why two guys are going to wrestle. I mean, if if not, you just you're just going to have you're just going to be throwing matches out between. Hey, here's a match between Andrade and Ricochet. Well, why? I guess, you know, hey, okay, you've got to have a match. But, I mean, if you can build up a personal issue between two two wrestlers like Rusev and, and Lashley, then, to me, it makes you want to see that match more than if you just got two guys that are out there wrestling each other for no reason. You know, so I, I you know, I don't have a problem with it, but a lot of people, a lot of people are concerned about it for some reason. 
I feel like there's been almost an overcorrection from the wrestling audience just because of, you know, the way things were done in the, the dying days of WCW and some things that happened in TNA. And they're like, oh, it resembles that. But the idea of a, a big brawl coming out of a deeply personal issue is something that is, you know, pretty much as old as American pro wrestling. Yes, it's something you did at that time. Right. Absolutely. I can remember having. I can remember having matches that I mean fights in my backyard of my house over on Walnut Grove with with uh, you know with, with Stacy who I was married to at the time and 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 some guy trying to uh, what, what was his name um, Sean Stasiak Sean Stasiak coming in and trying to take Stacy away and we went up fighting in my backyard and they you know they had a garbage can out there and they set fire to it and they're trying to stick people down in this in this flaming garbage can so. Yeah, that kind and of then stuff. Bill Dundee drove a car up and <laughs> made the save. <laughs> yeah, in a car, right? So yeah, that kind of stuff has gone on forever, and and it's just what you're trying to do is you're just trying to to make a personal issue uh, for for a good reason to have a match between two guys, you know. And I I, I think everybody now they're just too critical. And of course, anybody that wants to criticize, everybody seems like they want to criticize something on the show every week. And now everybody has that voice, we, you know, with Twitter and with uh, the uh, social media, everybody has a way to get their feelings out there. Not, not, not that that's a bad thing, but sometimes I think then that's just uh, the only people you really hear from are the critics, are the people that are upset with what they see. I think the people that are happy with what they uh, with what they're watching or somebody that likes something. They don't take the time to they don't take the time to get on social media and say, "Oh my gosh, that was so fun! That was so fun to watch! That was so interesting." Um, I mean, I, I, to me, when <laughs> I, I think one of the, I, I was just I was telling uh, I was telling Lauren that that I thought Lana did one of the best interviews that I've heard anybody do in a long time. She was fantastic. Yes, I mean because it seemed so it, to me it, it seemed real and she just. Uh, you know, she just was she was just out there with it and it was shocking and it was it was uh, to me it was good. I don't know. Well, and we have kind of a Memphis theme today with Dave Brown on the show. So many personal issues back in the Memphis days and sometimes you guys would be criticized by people from other territories that thought you were getting a little too crazy uh doing things like shaving oh, sure. Bill Dundee's wife's head or or whatever it may be, but <laughs> right. you did the highest ratings like, of yeah. any market in big crowds. Right. I mean, because that became personal. I mean, and as I was talking to somebody about this uh, yesterday, too, you know, back in the day, it was like uh, the the most embarrassing thing that could happen to a wrestler. Uh, and, and we played it up. I mean, almost every match or every feud would or every rivalry would culminate into uh, – a head shaving match. Get your, your you know, I'm going to put my hair at stake in this match. That's what much I believe. I, I, that's the last straw. I'm going to put my hair at stake. If I lose this match, I'm going to have my head shaved bald. And now it's like you turn around, 90% of the wrestlers are already bald. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you know, here's a young guy like Ricochet. That's such a that's nice looking guy and he's such a great athlete. He's bald. And so it's like, you. I'm, first thing I thought was that, Man, you can never have a hair match. That would be so cool if you ever could put your hair and stake in a match. But yeah, but you but talk about the the biggest pay per view by rate in history was the president versus Vince McMahon with hair at stake. Yes, yes, exactly. So guys, quit shaving your heads. Come and grow some hair out there, and let's <laughs> then then we'll shave it when there's a when there's the big something big on the line. But um, 
you talked about the build on deep. That was maybe the per, most personal issue that we ever had. We built up to me and Bill Dundee were the two biggest stars in Memphis, and we built it up to where it was hair versus hair. And the people were just thinking, oh, no, neither one of these guys would ever, would ever, ever want to be have their head shaved bald. And so I wound up winning the match. We shaved Bill Dundee's head, and he comes back on TV the next week, and I'm laughing at him saying, can you imagine waking up? Can you imagine being Bill Dundee's wife? Can you imagine her having to wake up next to this cue ball looking head of Bill Dundee's? Oh my gosh, that's got to be the most horrible thing ever. And all of a sudden, Bill Dundee's wife burst out onto the, burst out onto the uh, set and starts swinging at me wildly, right? And then Bill Dundee comes and grabs her and pulls her back out of camera range. And I said, oh my God, that was her. That was Bill Dundee's wife. And so we, we worked that into where I think I'm sure I had cheated to win that match and Bill getting his head shaved. But here comes Bill out there, bald-headed now. And he was so intent and his wife was so upset that he said, if you will have another match with me, Lawler, and put your hair at stake again, I'll put my wife Beverly's hair at stake. So, oh, my gosh, can you imagine? The people are sitting there going, oh, are you kidding me? And so here we come down to the Coliseum, and we had my hair at stake against bald-headed Bill's wife's hair, right? She has beautiful, long red hair. And, and uh, so I beat him again, and we shaved her head. <laughs> and so it was it was the craziest thing. I mean, that was like a, it was the most personal thing. Like I said, sold out every week with the, with this kind of stuff. And that was that was just like a, a personal issue. And that's what you know, that's what Lana and Rusev is trying to make it into a personal issue. Very interesting stuff. Can't wait to see what happens next week. See, uh, maybe you'll get involved again. We shall see. As always, a big thank you for listening to the show. We'd like to ask a small but very important favor of you. It'll only take a few minutes, and if you're one of the first people to do it, Podcast One will make it worth your time. We need you to complete a short survey, because the information you give us can help make things better for the show and you as a listener. Just go to podcastone.com slash survey, and everything will be right there for you. That's podcastone.com slash survey. The first 250 people who complete the survey will get a $10 gift card to amazon.com, and two grand prize winners will be selected at random to get a hundred dollar amazon gift card how about that free money it's a win-win our shows are supported by advertisers so filling this out will really help us cater to the needs of you as a loyal listener go to podcastone.com slash survey answer some questions and potentially make some money along the way from all of us here at podcast one thank you for being a dedicated listener you had another experience that you were telling me about before raw that i wish i was a part of tell us about that oh you're talking about what in the catering yes well yeah yeah like i said I got I got to Raw for about one uh, thirty in the afternoon or something like that, and we're we're at um, in in St. Louis, Missouri, big arena there. So they had a huge area for for catering. Sometimes caterings in catering areas in the arenas are real small. Sometimes they're big. This was real big. Everybody sitting around a different table, and because because Raw was in St. Louis, I just drove up from Memphis. I could you could actually drive in about like four and a half hours, and it, even even though. Memphis, St. Louis is, you know, fairly close to Memphis. In order to fly there, you have to get on a plane. You have to be at a, you have to be at the airport an hour before your flight, and leave. So I have to leave home like an hour before getting to the airport, an hour, and then waiting an hour to get on my flight, and then you have to fly to 
you have to fly to Atlanta and sit on the ground there for an hour and then get on another flight and then fly from there to St. Louis. So it takes about literally from the time I leave my house to get to St. Louis, it takes about six hours flying. Or that's how much it takes to, you know, from time from leaving to get to St. Louis. So I can drive it in four and a half hours. So Lauren's dad, Jeff, and uh, our son, uh, Peyton, we all decide to drive up, and he's going to help me drive. So we drove up. We get up there about 1.30 in the afternoon, go in, we get my, put my stuff up and everything. So we go to catering. And so we sit down, man, we got all this great food at catering. Then I, I don't know if anybody ever told you, but WWE is unbelievable catering. They spend like twenty thousand dollars, twenty grand a day, on catering. Mm. That's, I mean, that's the real, like, real figure. It's um, unbelievable. Amazing what the wrestling industry is now. The best spread of any kind of food, and they feed, you know, not just the wrestlers, and the food's there all day, just keeping keeping it fresh and constant and changing from an early menu to a late afternoon menu and all this kind of stuff. But it's just great food. And, of course, they feed probably 500 people as far as the whole staff and all the security and all the, all the workers and everybody, the crew and everybody eats all day long. So so anyway, me, Jeff, and Peyton are sitting at the table, and we're just eating a little different food. And all of a sudden, in comes Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan. So they come over, and they sit down with us, and we start talking a little bit. And then a couple minutes later, here comes Ric Flair. So Ric Flair comes over, and he sits down at the table with us. And then maybe probably 15, 20 minutes later, in comes Bob Orton Sr., or Jr., uh, Randy Orton's uh, father. So he comes, and he sits beside me. So all of a sudden, you got Bob Orton Jr., you got Jerry the King Lawler, you got Hulk Hogan next to me. You got Jimmy Hart next to Hulk. And you got Ric Flair across from Hulk. And we just started talking. And one thing led to another. Anyway, we sat and talked for probably an hour and a half just about everything, all sorts of stories and everything. And at the end of, at the, end of the day, and, and even he was still talking about it on the way back, driving back. But Jeff, uh, Lawrence's dad said, you can't imagine what that was like. He said, I know, I, I know because you're a part of it, so you can't imagine. But for me, and for a, a wrestling fan or an outsider, so to speak, be able to just sit there at the same table with you guys and just listen to the stories and listen to the way four or five friends, so to speak, all and, and co-workers all sitting around and talking about different things, uh, how amazing that was. He said people would have given their life to sit in on that conversation. I wasn't really even thinking anything about it other than the fact that it was, it, you know, everybody was telling, I mean, everybody was telling some cool stories. Rick, of course, was, Rick, <laughs> Rick is awesome. I mean, it's it's just amazing. And and all of us, everybody, because all of uh, me, Rick especially, and, and now Hulk especially too, are, have been, had major health issues, right? And so a lot of us were talking about that and, and probably, well, I guess I really did die for, for a little short period of time. But in reality, I think probably Rick had the closest near-death experience. I mean, you know, he, he, he was in real bad shape there for, for a pretty long time. 
but now, uh, and then, and he talks about you know different things that went on during that during that time. How uh, you know the different things, the different doctors, and the different hospitals, and the different surgeries and things like that. But now, all of a sudden, I mean, he is back and so uh, so vitalized, <laughs> and to to sit with him and hear him talk about, uh, he just loves to tell stories, and you you could sit and listen to Rick all day long just talk about stories of how uh, you know how what a what a party guy Rick Flair was. I mean, you know, you hear all about the limousine riding and, and uh, you know, kiss stealing and all that. That was real. I mean, Ric Flair is really that guy. And he was just telling us about the stories. And, 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 that, and, and uh, you know, he would, he would talk about how, how times that uh, – and, and, you know, guys in the business would know this about Rick. He was such a, a party animal during the time. I mean, he would, he would go and it's like he talked about some working there in St. Louis a lot. And he said – you know, I would come to St. Louis and he said, I would work a main event match. And he said, I would make like maybe $3,000. And then I would go to the bars afterwards and, and pay for everybody's drinks and everything. And he said, well, I'd wind up having to come back to the promoter later on and say, Hey, uh, can you, uh, advance me another thousand? I said, I'd go out and spend 4,000 after making 3,000. And, and, and he would, he just told a bunch of different stories about, uh, you know, about, his his lifestyle of course it's it's uh changed somewhat over the years now but i mean he's just so fun to listen to all his his uh crazy stories about <laughs> he would talk about his interviews about uh he would actually go on tv and and tell uh, tell on a live tv show what hotel he was going to be staying at right <laughs> yeah. and invite he said i want all the all the beautiful women no boyfriends no husbands just women you know and then like invite him and tell him exactly where he was going to be staying that night and the bar that he was going to be in and that sort of thing but he was just a he he was just a cra- crazy uh crazy lifestyle that this guy was and and then to to have such you know bad health issues but then all of a sudden now He's back to like a, you know, he's back like 110 percent. He's just, he is so, um, he's so happy. Seems like, you know, to to be around now. He's really fun to be around. Hulk, on the other hand, I never, I never realized, uh, you know, I never realized. Gosh, I mean, he showed me X-rays. I didn't realize Hulk had had so many surgeries, and he's about to, he's about to have another major surgery on his back. And he did tell me, you know, once, once again, he told me one time that he said, King, I. I, I, I wish a long time ago I had come up with a different finish in my matches rather than that big leg drop every single match, every night for thousands of matches. Can you imagine his biggest Hulk over 300 pounds jumping up in the air and coming down right on his back and his hip with that leg drop? He did that and, lariat in Japan would have been so much better. Oh, my gosh. That's what he said. Anything, any, anything other than that, what he did. But now, and now it's, it has really come home to roost in the fact that he showed me x-rays, pictures of x-rays of his back. And he's already got, I mean, going up and down his spine, the lower part of his spine, there's like 10 or 12 screws and bolts and stuff that are already in there now. And then now in the middle of November, he's going to have to go back in and have another major surgery and, and have more of those things put into try and his his spine is just so uh jacked up and misaligned and and crunched together and everything i don't even know how i don't even know how terry can even walk around and he was and that's what he was talking about i mean he's talked talk, telling stories about how he would literally you know cry at night because he, just the pain was so bad and so unbearable and then you know and then getting on different kind of 
the medications that would try to alleviate the pain, and then the and then the medication would be more more dangerous to you than the, than the pain and everything. So he, I, I mean, I felt so bad just listening to Terry talk about his 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 uh, you know his physical condition. Or and this has been going on for years now. I mean, literally, probably the last ten years. And I just sat and and I just sat and marvelled about the fact that you know, and just looking at him, what does it take to put on a put on that brave and and you know almost happy face every day so that the people don't realize what kind of pain you're in? Uh, but it's so bad. And, and he showed me a picture of uh, of his back, and I told him, I said, "Oh my gosh, Terry, that doesn't even look human. It looks like something out of a almost like a monster movie, of some kind of thing that they 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 did surgery. They opened his back up." And they put these electrode things in, in up and down his spine and then actually inserted a, a thing that would be almost like a pacemaker, except it was just a battery deal that would just constantly send electrical impulses throughout his back. And I don't even know how who could have ever thought of something like that. But but he had it done to he had it done to his back. And it was just unbelievable that that since been taken out. But I mean, what he's gone through. I'm just hoping and praying that, you know, here in November that this, this next surgery will, uh, will help him out and alleviate some of that pain. And, and he told us, he said, the doc, he says, wife doesn't even really want him to do it because apparently this is going to be a real, real serious surgery. He said, the doctors told him, he said, Terry, we're going to hit you hard on this one. And I'm thinking, holy mackerel, harder than what these other surgeries look like. How, how could that be? But anyway, um, so everybody needs to be hoping and praying for Terry to, to come through this all right and everything. But I mean, you know, here he is, here he is right now. He's over in, uh, you know, he's over in Saudi Arabia leading team Hogan against team flair. And, and the poor guy has got to be in so much pain. It's just, it's just unreal. So it, it was funny. It was funny. The healthiest guy, the healthiest guy among us was the, the oldest guy there was Jimmy Hart. He, <laughs> he had nothing to complain about. He said, Hey baby, everything's great. You know, it was, it was cool. But anyway, yeah, we just, we, everybody just sat around and, and, and talked and, and, uh, had some had some great stories and uh, you know what and one of the things that that uh one of the things that terry was saying or hulk was saying was that apparently while they were working together uh because we all we all started talking about you know different guys that aren't with us anymore and um everybody was everybody was uh, apparently good friends with rowdy roddy piper and we were talking a little bit about roddy and and terry told the story he said he said you know roddy and i while we were working together he said, we really weren't close at all. And um, he said, but after, you know, after we both you know, kind of just weren't wrestling as much or making appearances as, as often, he said, Roddy started calling me. And he said, we we became really, really close friends so much that he said we would talk sometimes almost like every day. He said, we would talk on the phone several times a week. And he said, he said, Roddy was had gotten to the point where, you know, he's pretty religious and, and, and that sort of thing. The, the story he told was just amazing. He said, the day after Roddy Piper died, he said, he said, I don't know how it happens, but, you know, sometimes he said, I don't know if I if I just didn't see the call or all of a sudden I got a notification. He said, I got on my phone the day after Roddy died. He said, I got a voicemail that came up on my phone and it said Roddy Piper. Hmm. And he said, I went, what? And he said, I swear to you. When I clicked on that voicemail, it was Roddy Piper, and he said his exact words were, Hey, Terry, 
Roddy Piper, I'm just walking with Jesus thinking about you, brother. And he said, it was, he said, it just stunned me. He said, he said, first of all, he had never really, he said, we've talked a little bit about religion and stuff, but he had never said those words like that. You know, I'm just walking with Jesus thinking about you. The day he got that, the day after Roddy died. That is amazing, man. Yeah. They, they, uh, they should stick a camera in catering. Uh, this would blow up network subscriptions. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, enough about that. But anyway, yeah, it was good. everybody keep everybody keep uh, Hulk Hogan in your prayers. Middle of middle of November, he's going to go in for a big surgery, and and we just hope it brings him some relief. Guys, it's MMA fighter Chael Sonnen. Check out my podcast, You're Welcome, with Chael Sonnen every Wednesday and Friday right here at Podcast One. We cover the latest in mixed martial arts and everything else going on in the world of sport. Listen free to You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen, exclusively available at PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app. If you love the show, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for our guest. I am trying to maintain my composure here as I am on the line with not only who I consider the greatest pro wrestler of all time, but one half of the greatest, not just pro wrestling announced team, but any broadcasting sports team that has ever existed. And that was just his side job on the weekends as he spent 50 years being an (laughs) Emmy Award winning newsman, uh, meteorologist for WMC5 in Memphis. So many fascinating stories to tell us. Uh, Mr. Dave Brown, how are you today? I'm doing great. Good morning to both of you. (laughs) Well, good morning, good afternoon, whenever it is when people are listening to this. Who knows? It's good to you, right? It's good morning to us, right? Uh, (laughs) It's good morning right now, but. Good, good, uh, good day. How about that? And, and, and down here in Memphis, I woke up again. Uh, it just happened the other day uh, to a weather-related uh, incident here at my home, Dave. I blame you every time we have this miserable weather, but we are having some <laughs> horrible rainy weather. I got up this morning and I'm, I'm fixing myself a bowl of cereal, and I hear something going pop, 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 and I look over. Oh my gosh, a big leak right in the middle of my like my kitchen roof. And it's just oh, coming, yeah, I, oh. of course, poor yeah, here, in Memphis, mm. here in Memphis, we had almost five inches of rain uh, over the weekend. And now uh, this morning we have had an inch and a half. So a lot of leaks probably. And Dave, you told me the other day, uh, of course, a lot of people don't realize Dave and I get to have lunch almost uh, on a weekly basis. We have a group of uh, kind, of, kind of an eclectic group of individuals that that gather here in Memphis and uh, the Don DeWeese, who owns Gibson's Donuts, which is world famous in Memphis. Andy Fletcher, who's a Major League Baseball umpire. Uh, gosh, Steve. I mean, all, all of these guys. We have, we have uh, guys that are SEC basketball, uh, high school basketball coaches, SEC basketball officials. Sometimes even the general manager, new general manager of Channel 5 drops in. It's a crazy group. But uh, you were telling us at, that at, at one of those lunches, do you still keep all uh, really all the way up to date on all the weather happenings as far as like uh, like you said knowing exactly how much rain we've had and all that stuff, right? Well, kind of, uh, not quite as much. I, I don't uh, monitor the uh, forecast models quite as closely as I used to, but I, I still do that from time to time. But I've got a, a, my own weather station uh, here at uh-huh. my house, which <laughs> is hooked to the internet, 
And so anywhere I am in the world, I can call up my app and I can find out exactly what is and what has been happening in my own backyard. So, yeah, I keep up with that quite a bit. Matter of fact, I'm sitting here looking at, uh, at the readout right now of, uh, it's 57 degrees at the moment. <laughs> Give us a little forecast there, too. What is tomorrow's, tomorrow, uh, where we're recording now, tomorrow's going to be Halloween. Kids are supposed to be out trick or treating. Is it going to be good or bad for them? Well, I think maybe it's going to be okay. I wouldn't say good. Yeah. Uh, it, it's probably going to rain a little bit more tomorrow. I'm thinking that by the time the kids go out to trick-or-treat, it'll probably be ending, but it's going to be turning cold. Uh, the temperature is going to drop uh, down into the low 30s Halloween night. So, wow. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be cold and damp. Well, Sean, I'm sure you're just sitting there with a big smile on your face, just hearing that iconic voice. That's what that's what everybody in Memphis, Tennessee, and all around the Mid-South area got to hear several times a day for years and years and years. Dave talking about the weather, but then on Saturday mornings, Saturday mornings we got to hear him talking about wrestling. You are one of the most interesting figures in the history of wrestling because uh, for, for new listeners who aren't totally familiar with the Memphis Wrestling Promotion, it was doing the highest ratings in the history of pro wrestling in any market, like beating primetime TV shows. And Dave, you were doing the news every night and then doing wrestling on Saturday mornings. Um, how did you balance that, maintaining your credibility as the most respected newsman in the city while also, you know, telling everybody about how evil Toju Yamamoto was on Saturdays. <laughs> well, it, it, it was a bit of a balancing act, but uh, the audience went along with it. And one reason I think the first television job I did was on the Saturday morning wrestling show. That was at uh, Channel 13, WHBQ-TV, uh, where Lance was the program manager. And he asked me one day, I was a rock and roll DJ on the radio side, and he asked if uh, I would like to help him on Saturday. And he, he's, uh, he said something I've never forgotten, and I think it was so true. He said, I don't know how you feel about wrestling, but if you ever think you want to work in television, you should take this job because you will find out two things. You will find out if you like television, and you will find out if television likes you because a lot of folks would like to be on television, and they just don't work for whatever reason. So uh, that was great advice. I took the job. I, you know, I wasn't a huge wrestling fan. I certainly didn't dislike it. Uh, but uh, as I got into it, it just became fun. And by the time uh, my run was done on wrestling, 35 years later, I couldn't wait to get there on Saturday and see what we were going to do next. Yes, sir. What What year did you? What year was that that you were working? Uh, when you when you said the radio side, a lot of people don't realize. Like in in Memphis, usually the TV stations had a sister radio station, and at the time it was it was WHBQ, which was the uh, ABC affiliate, wasn't it? That was the ABC Television affiliate, and yeah, WHBQ Radio. Yeah, right. WHBQ Radio was the one of the top radio stations in the country in those days. I worked there from 1964 to. 1968. Uh, I had actually started uh, when I was a sophomore in high school in 1962 at a couple of small stations up near my hometown. But uh, we were we were a hot rock and roll station nationwide. Oh, yeah. We had George Klein, one of the one of the top DJs in the country, working nights, and uh, I just I just love playing the rock and roll. And uh, it's it's the radio station long before I got there, 10 years before I got there. WHBQ is the radio station that played the first Elvis record ever. Yep. So it had quite a history. And so, like you said, you were you were there, not even thinking about television. You were you were showing up for work, doing your DJ shift every day. And and like you said, the the TV station and the radio stations uh, offices were in the studios were in the same building. 
And so then, yeah. and Lance was the program director on the TV side. And what, how did that, how did that meeting occur? Um, I was on the air one, I was working for somebody one Saturday afternoon. Uh, I was, uh, keep in mind too, while I was in radio and early years of television, I was also going to University of Memphis full time uh, to go. get my degree. And, uh, Lance just came down one Saturday after the show and he sat down in the control room and he said, Hey, Davey. He said, uh, he always called me Davey. He said, <laughs> uh, Hey, Davey. He said, uh, Dale Mullins, who was his sidekick at the time, uh, is leaving. He's taking another job near his hometown. And I need somebody to help me out with a wrestling show on Saturdays. And I'd like you to do it if you're interested. And then he went on to tell me the, uh, the other things. Why wow. do you think I, he chose you? I don't know. Maybe I was available. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I tell you what Lance said. Uh, he said he, he had observed my work ethic in radio and he thought that I would be reliable. And he also thought that, uh, that I, I would present fairly well on television so um you know i, I consider sounds that, like, I, I sounds consider like that a lance. tremendous compliment i was yeah. gonna say that sounds like a typical lance bs story but that's probably now he you mentioned george klein which to people in the memphis and mid-south area he was a big huge radio name for years and years george didn't he also uh, help lance do do the wrestling show a little bit he did several years before I did. I'm, right. I'm thinking maybe four years before I did. Uh, George was uh, was doing my job, um, and then uh, the show it, it had been dance party and became talent party when they eliminated dancing on the show. Uh, that show became available when the when the host left for another job, and uh, Lance tapped uh, George to take over talent party. So uh, other people started sitting in with Lance, and then eventually they got got around to me. I don't I don't think there were a whole bunch of us. I think after George, maybe a couple, perhaps three people before I uh, came on board. Once Dave Brown and, and Lance Russell teamed up, I mean it was it was like magic. I mean I've I've people talk to me, uh, you know, over the years about Memphis wrestling and how you know it's be it's become uh, like legendary the Memphis wrestling. And people would say, oh, my gosh, all the great wrestlers, you, the king, and, uh, and you know, all the guys that came out of Memphis wrestling, of course, Bill Dundee and Jackie Fargo and, and Tojo Yamamoto and all those mainstays, guys like that. But then all of the WWE guys that came and started there in Memphis and went on to become big WWE stars like the Hulk Hogan and The Rock and all of these different guys, I always tell them, they say, you know, the Memphis wrestling and Memphis wrestlers were the greatest. And I said, yeah, but you know what made – those wrestlers and what made Memphis wrestling, it was Lance Russell and Dave Brown. You guys were the constant wrestlers came and went all the time. You guys were the, you guys were Memphis wrestling as far as I was concerned. And I think you always were, even though the people didn't realize it, you and Lance were Memphis wrestling for all those years. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I, somewhat agree we were we were indeed the constant we were the ones that were there every week but we could not have been lance and dave without great wrestlers doing oh I, I, I think uh, I, I don't i disagree with you there i think you were and you could and you did because a lot of times you guys were able to make wrestlers that weren't very good seem good and sound good and 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 you know this this was at a time of course when you know, there were only there were only three stations on everybody's TV dial, dial and uh, and you know there was only one wrestling show to watch. So it, it's almost like 
everybody that came on that show on Saturday morning on our wrestling show was a, was a star. That's the, that's just the way people looked at it then. Uh, you know, and, and really in, in the sense people still do today, but there's just, there's just, it's kind of, you know, diluted the, the market and the shows and that sort of thing. But, but back in those days, you guys, you guys were able to work with, 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 uh, I mean, you know, we, we took, we called people, uh, in, in the business and I've had, had other people say, why do you call these guys job guys? Uh, and, and I, and I'm the best I can, uh, re recall it was, uh, a lot of times on Saturday mornings, we use guys that in real life had other jobs. The wrestling wasn't their full-time job and they would just show up on Saturday mornings. And a lot of times, you know, be put in matches with the guys that were full-time wrestlers and, and just like a, what they call today enhancement talent. But you guys were able to work with those guys as well as the, as well as the main stars and, and make them seem, you know, make them seem awesome. I mean, that, that was just a great thing that I always admired about you and Lance. We were able to do that, and, and uh, Lance, again, uh, was the leader in that. He taught me how to do it, and we we were able to do that, and we had to do that because, I mean, uh, some young kid comes in, and uh, he's wrestling uh, Jerry Lawler uh, on our wrestling show that day, or he's wrestling Tojo Yamamoto. Uh, he's going to get killed, uh, except if if he's able to, you know, have a couple of high spots here and there, um, it, it lends to the credibility of his actually being in the ring with the top talent. Now, most of the time he ends up losing, okay. But some of those guys, very few of them, but some of those guys actually did build into uh, career wrestlers and became stars in their own right. Well, I, let, me, let me stop you right there for a second and then continue on. But I personally was one of those guys. I mean, you know, I started out when Jackie Fargo told me, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to let you have a match for Memphis wrestling. Oh my gosh. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I was just so excited and what it became or what the match was turned out to be was one of those job matches on TV where I went in with guys like Tojo Yamamoto or, or Don and Al Green or the interns. And I just got squashed in, in two or three minutes, but I was so excited because I was on TV to me. That was the greatest thing ever. I was on TV. I was, and, and you guys, you guys helped make me, Go from one of those guys that was just a job guy that was just getting beat up on Saturday mornings by the main stars into becoming one of the main stars. And it, it, that was you guys that did that. Well, it was, but it was also you. that I, And and everybody needs to know I'm a huge Jerry Lawler fan, have been forever. He, he started out by sending in. We uh, at the television station, uh, we had such a low budget for our news operation. It was different than, than it has been for the last 35 years. But uh, it, we, we had very low news budget, so we couldn't spare a camera to go to the wrestling matches on Monday night and shoot any video. So on Saturday, we had to talk about what happened Monday night, and it just wasn't quite the same. And Jerry would do these fantastic cartoon drawings of uh, what had happened on Monday night and send them to Lance. And Lance started using them to talk about what had happened on Monday on the show. But, uh, Jerry, and, and let, let, me, uh, let me just uh, disagree with you just a little bit. Yeah, you did start out as one of those uh, guys that we call job guys. But uh, Jerry had something that a lot of the people did not have, and that is you had a personality, you had charisma, and you had the ability to get into character, whatever the character might be at the moment. And the main thing is you could talk. You could make sense. Uh, and and that was not true with 
everybody. There are a couple of big stars whose names I won't call, uh, but, but who, <laughs> Go ahead, who were on the show and could could not they could not do an interview. Yeah. Uh, we had to lead them through that interview, and they would finally get frustrated and just throw out you know whatever was going to happen Monday night to try to sell their ticket and get out. Um, and uh, you know all of that is part of uh, building a star, and you had it from the get go. Sean, I know you got a million questions. Uh, I want to just don't forget. I want to get to the uh, Batman interview before we get through with Dave here today. But uh, Sean has a million questions that he wants to ask you. So start, start, Sean. Well, we just throw this out there because I know we're uh, a little limited on time. I just want to hear more about uh, just you and Lance and how that relationship developed and the chemistry that you had together and how you guys approach doing a show together because so many people consider you two the greatest pair in wrestling history. Well, when I started, again, didn't know a whole lot about wrestling. I knew generally what wrestling was. But, uh, for instance, uh, on, on my first few days, Lance said, uh, I was at the, at the desk with Lance, and he said, look, just jump in there when you feel like it, but don't feel like you have to. Don't feel you like you have to do a whole match or anything. But just work yourself in. When you're comfortable, you see something, you observe something, uh, just just talk about it. And he was so very generous uh, to let me uh, – many times we would both uh, commentate on a match uh, rather than, than just one doing it and then the other one doing it. Uh, sometimes we would switch. I would do um, a whole match, and then Lance would do the next one. But uh, somehow, it was uh, like I say, it, it is chemistry, and it just worked. And it worked, I think, because Lance was so generous in, in helping me do it. He wanted me to succeed. He wanted the show to succeed. He was program manager of the station. He was the number two man in the building. So definitely he wanted the show to succeed. And all of that worked in together, I believe. I have said uh, many times over the years, I knew Lance Russell for, gosh, uh, 50 years, maybe over. And in all of that time, he was a co-worker. He was a mentor. He was my partner. Uh, he was my boss. He was in all of those roles the whole time. But most of all, he was my friend, my lifelong friend. We were we were yeah. great friends. We uh, uh, and and I, I, I tell people, and this I think this is very rare. In all that time that I knew Lance Russell, there was never a single cross word between the two of us. Right. Not in over fifty years. And in the television business, let me tell you, that is rare. <laughs> You're not kidding. Well, let me, let me let me say this, talking about, you know, going back in the history of between Lance and Dave. Most people remember the, the, the big heyday that you're talking about, Sean, of of channel of, of TV wrestling was uh, Channel 5 wrestling. And, yeah. But let me tell you a little bit about how that came about. And Dave Brown play, paid or played <laughs> the most important part in uh, that becoming Channel 5 Wrestling, because as Dave talked about before, he started, and Lance was the program director, at Channel 13 in Memphis, which was the ABC affiliate. And when the, and then that was, that was where Nick Goulas, who owned the territory or owned the promotional rights to the territory for years and years and years, that's where, you know, they had been broadcasting the, the uh, Channel 13 Saturday morning wrestling for years. Can't have the time to go into all this, but when Jerry Jarrett and I broke off from Nick Goulas, and Jerry decided he's going to go in business for himself. And he asked me and several other wrestlers to go out on a limb and, and take a chance and, 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 and go with him. And most of the wrestlers thought that Jerry was going to be the one that was going to be more successful. And so 
but what what we were doing were you were you were just gonna you were gonna take a chance by saying I'm gonna walk away from the established uh, wrestling show on Channel 13 that had been there for years and years with Lance and Dave, and I'm gonna go on this. I'm just gonna go out and and you know go to something totally uh, sight unseen. And and what happened was Jerry Jerry sat down with me and he said, listen, we can't do this unless we have a TV show, unless we have a TV station. And I'm sure that Jerry had talked to to um, to Lance and Dave. But anyway, I was sent me because I was kind of the, the best known wrestler in in the area. Jerry wasn't really that well known at the time. So I was sent over just without a without a invitation, without an appointment or anything, walked in off the street to Channel 5 Studios, the NBC affiliate, and I asked, uh, and of course they, they knew who I was immediately, but I said, could I have a, could I talk with the program director who was Phil Slavic was his name, and so he invited me into his office, and I sat down, and I told Phil the story of what was going to happen, and, and how that Jerry Jarrett and I were going to break away from Nick Goulas in the established TV show, and he seemed interested, and he said, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, um, that that show over there is the top rated show, and of course, uh, uh, I, and then I said, "Well, it's top rated. You're right, but I think we will be we will be able to bring the top stars, the wrestling stars, if you'll put us on here on your station." And I said, uh, "There's a big possibility that we might be able to bring Lance and Dave Brown with us with with this with our company." And you should have seen Phil Slavic's eyes got his biggest saucers, and he said he jumped up. I'll never forget. He jumped up out of his chair. He said, "Oh wait a minute, I, I've, got, I've got to go get the manager. I got to go get Maury Griner." As he runs upstairs, he brings down Maury Griner, and and the and the the whole thing that swung the deal for us was just being able to. Uh, I mean, and we didn't we didn't really be. I wasn't able to promise it at the time. Because, you know, Dave was still under contract to Channel 13, and Lance was the program director at Channel 13. But just by by telling those guys that we had the possibility to bring Dave Brown, who was the top weatherman in the entire market, th- that they may possibly follow the, the wrestling show over to Channel 5, that swung the deal for us, without a doubt. That's that's what got us on Channel 5. And then, and then of course, uh, Lance and Dave did eventually come over. And, and the rest is history. But it, it was Dave Brown being promised that he might come with the wrestling show is what, what got us on Channel 5. That was, that was the whole bottom line of the deal right there. And the interesting thing about that, they were promising that I was going to come over there, and nobody had told me anything about that. So <laughs> right. <laughs> that came later. But uh, we did get the negotiation. Phil Slavic uh, gave me a call, and uh, he, he said, hey, he said, you know, I need a weatherman over here. and. Uh, you you may know we've uh, got a new show coming on the air uh, called Wrestling on uh, Saturday. <laughs> and the, the wrestling show had been canceled at Channel 13. And the reason is uh, Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler were taking all most of the top talent with them. And uh, Lance said, we need to go with them because they're the ones that will have the stars for the Saturday morning show. And uh, so that's, that was where we were going. And then the lawyers in New York got a hold of it, and they said, no, they'll sue the hell out of you, and uh, you can't do it. And they said, well, what do we do? We're going to have a loser show, and Channel 5 or whoever else picks it up is going to have the winning show. He said, just cancel it. So they did. They canceled the wrestling show. And then it was picked up at Channel 5, which turns out to be a super move. Um, yes, for, ev- uh, for Jerry, every, right? 
as Jerry indicated, uh, there were there were four televisions, three ma- three majors, and the PBS station. And on Saturday morning, eighty percent, eighty percent of the television stations that were on in this entire fifty sixty county area were watching Saturday morning wrestling. Eighty percent. Yeah, that was amazing. Eight out of every ten people in the entire market were turned tuned in to Lance and Dave and Saturday morning wrestling for years and years and years. Like you mentioned, Sean, I mean, this was back. Oprah Winfrey was coming on in the afternoons as she was just getting started and had huge ratings and everything. And, 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 and primetime television shows that were on, you know, and in primetime in the evening and stuff, we had higher ratings and a bigger uh, a bigger audience than than those primetime shows and even than, than Oprah Winfrey had at the time. It's crazy. Yeah. Unprecedented. It was. Um, I know we want to talk about, Jerry, you said uh, before we sign off here, the <laughs> infamous Batman interview. Uh, can I, either of you just uh, educate us on how that happened? There was a car show in town uh, down at the uh, at the building where we did uh, Monday Night Wrestling. And World of Wheels. Was, I'll never forget. It's called the World of Wheels car show. Came, came to Memphis World, once a year. Yeah, World of Wheels. And uh, Adam West, Batman, television's Batman, uh, was brought in as as a star to help draw people to the to the show. And Jerry went down there. And I don't know exactly how this happened. Maybe Jerry can fill that in. But he convinced Batman, Adam West, to come out and do the television show. Keep in mind, we were live. <laughs> so we had an interview with Batman. And uh, Lance was not there that day. He was on right. vacation. So it was up to me to interview Batman. Well, and I, 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 get the, I had the pleasure. I mean, it was, I was like a dream come true for me. Uh, I got to go to the hotel. He was staying at a hotel here in Memphis right by the convention center. I got to drive down to the hotel, pick Batman up, or pick Adam, <laughs> West, <laughs> pick Adam West up that morning. And the first thing he said to me was this, uh, said, Jerry, do I have to wear the entire – do I have to put on the entire costume uh, and I said, you're Batman. You do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. So he wound up wearing a, just like a black jogging suit and then his cape and cowl and the gloves and everything. So it was a really an interesting looking thing. But Dave had the idea, I think, to sit, like just sit him out in the audience with the rest of the fans. And then Dave would call him up from the audience like, like wait, we got some unusual, unusual guests sitting over there. Can you come over here? It was great. <laughs> It was great, and, and uh, it was a fun interview. The, the problem is, uh, uh, over the years, I was surprised when I found out about this years later, but a lot of people were on the Internet were saying <laughs> that uh, that Adam West was obviously intoxicated during the yeah. interview. Well, yeah. he was not. He absolutely no. was not. Uh, what happened, uh, the television show had not been on the air for almost two years uh, when uh, Adam West was appearing on Wrestling. So a lot of the audience did not understand the campiness of the Batman show and the humor that that they had in there, and uh, they misinterpreted uh, his his humor uh, for something else. But he was just stone cold sober and, and a great interview. He had one of the funniest lines. There there have been several times over the career that I've really had to force myself not to just burst out laughing on camera. Uh, several things that Jerry has said uh, have done that. But uh, Adam West said, you know, I think there's hope for this king. I think there's hope if he will do this and do that, and if he will use his left and right turn signals. And I just about fell out when he said that because you know that's, well, that's, cool. that's cool how you rehabilitate the, the king. 
Right. The cool thing about that, that interview and what what you used to pull out of people back in the day was interviews were totally unscripted then. I mean, you know, now every every, every wrestler that goes out, you know, they got 35 or 40 writers in the companies and everything's written out for these guys to say. Back in the day, back then, you know, you just met Adam West right before we went on the air and called him over and he didn't know anything about wrestling. All he knew is that he was he was there to promote uh, the fact that he was going to be at a car show later on, which he didn't really get to promote. Thanks to you, you did get it in a real a quick plug at the end. But all of a sudden, here, here I come walking out in a in a Superman suit that I had that I had made somewhere down the line before, even knowing about Batman being there. I come walking out in this Superman suit, and 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 here's Batman and Dave, and none none of it none of it was rehearsed. We hadn't even talked to, for a minute before we went out there, and so just what what came off was. Uh, just something off the top of Adam West's head, and like he said, the the campiness of of his type of humor that he did on the Rat- Batman TV show in '66 was 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 still there, and it, it was it was just awesome, you know. And that's the, you know that was one of the things that that I know, Dave. If if you can think of some of the people that that you really it was almost like pulling teeth to do interviews. Jerry Calhoun comes to mind. What about when you had to interview Jerry Calhoun, the referee? Oh yeah. When uh, Bill Dundee and uh, George Barnes came in as the, I think they came in as the Australians or something uh-huh. like that. But, uh-huh. but anyway, George Barnes was the talker, and then when when he was funny too. But when George decided to go back home and Bill decided to stay, well, Bill had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to do the interviews, and right. uh, so he had a little bit of learning curve there. And of course, look what happened to him. He became the superstar, and that that was true with a whole bunch of folks. But again, that was that was the function. Uh, that Lance and I were to serve. We were number one to make sure we got in the plug, the proper plug for Monday night, uh, for what was gonna gonna happen Monday night. Why should fans go there? And also to to kind of uh, let the pull the interview along and, and try to make the guys look good while coaching them as uh, to where they needed to go next. And one of the things you mentioned this earlier, Sean. Uh, how you keep your credibility, and that was very important. We knew, I mean, it was it was like an unwritten rule. You you treated Dave a little bit differently than you did Lance because Dave had to had to maintain the credibility of the fact that he had to be believable because he was the you know he was the top weatherman in the whole market and he was on the news every single night. We had to be careful to help him uh, maintain that not not dignity, but that that. Uh, I don't know, believability, so to speak. didn't get involved physically. Uh, right. The, the rule was you don't touch Dave. Uh, I was also the liaison with the management of the television station, so everybody everybody wanted to treat me pretty nice. <laughs> but uh, uh, that that was part of it. And I sort of assumed uh, the character of uh, being uh, the voice of sanity when all hell was breaking <laughs> loose around us. And, what about uh, something? Do you remember that worked? Every now and then... Poor Lance would, uh, would sometimes actually Lance would would suggest it. He said, "Hey, you know, if it, if something happens, but sometimes things would happen with Lance." I, the one time that I can remember uh, more vivid, well, two times was the Dream Machine when the Dream Machine came out and just snatched Lance up by the collars and just took yeah. him down to the ground. And then one time Tojo got Lance so mad that Lance picked up a hammer. You remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. Oh, Tojo was going somewhere with the interview that he should not have been going. And I don't mean he was he was 
uh, using dirty words or anything. He was just, uh, he wasn't doing the interview right. And Lance, yeah, that's the only time I really saw Lance truly angry. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he picked up, we used a, we used a hammer, uh, the bell that we rang, right. uh, we used a hammer to ring the bell. And he picked up that hammer and he was threatening Tojo with it. Yeah, he said, I'll never forget. He said, I may not get in but one shot. You could probably kill me, Tojo, but I promise you, I'll hit you right between the eyes of this hammer. <laughs> It was great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness it didn't happen. Just real quick, I know we got we've we've kept you way too long, but are there are there any big things that happened during all of those years that this immediately when you start thinking back that come to mind? I mean, I mean, gosh, you got the word you know guys with like The Rock and Hulk Hogan and all those guys when they got started. But is there any any big things that just immediately come to your mind that were like the top moments when you were out there? Oh. So many of them. Well, I remember when you uh, got your leg broken playing football, and uh, and and Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South, came out, and Jerry was the draw. Jerry was the money. He's the one that that drew the the big audience for Monday night. We didn't make any money. The, the wrestling uh, uh, company did not make any money from the television show. Uh, what they got was the ability to do commercials, if you will. For the Monday night show at the auditorium or most of the time uh, at Channel 5 at the Coliseum um, and uh, to put people there selling those tickets. And that's how the wrestling company made all the money. Um, and with Jerry out with a broken leg for weeks, many weeks, we had to figure out how to draw money. And I didn't have anything to do with it, but uh, I think Jerry Jarrett probably uh, has decided they were going to try to build Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart, they, they don't call him the mouth of the South for nothing. He can talk. <laughs> he could then, and he can now. And, of course, he was an entertainer. He was a member of the rock and roll band, the Gentries, that had a big hit, Keep On Dancing. And uh, so he he, he understood uh, the entertainment business. And uh, he was he was able, through managing uh, various other wrestlers, to build their credibility, along with Lance and I trying to help any way we could. And somehow we made it through until Jerry got back. But uh, that, that was one memorable time. Yeah, I, I remember when Hogan came in. Yeah, uh, and uh, he 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 became uh, not only a big physical man, he became a, a huge star, as everyone knows. At one time, I think he and Muhammad Ali were probably the two best known names in the world. Right, and uh, and then The Rock, uh, The Rock was here as Flex Cabana. I, I got to do an interview with him. I believe it's the last interview that was done with him. Yeah, uh, I remember. I, I was thinking show. just. I was thinking just then that we had to all of a sudden. I mean, we had him built up. He was like the Southern champion or something like that. He'd been built up a little bit. All of a sudden, Vince McMahon calls and said, "I need the Rock up here starting Monday." And so this was Saturday morning. We got the news, so we had to we had to do a loser leave town match if we if you remember. And I think you might have been doing the show by yourself that day too. A loser leave town match, and we almost went over time. We almost ran out of time before we could beat The Rock and get him out of Memphis, if you remember. It was great. That's true. Well, he had the belt, so one thing we had to do was get the belt off of it right? Uh, to keep it here. And then we had to find out why all of a sudden he was up leaving town. He said, I tell you what, he said, I'll put, I'll put the title up against Jerry Lawler on, on one condition. It's a loser leave town match. So after I beat him, I'll be the champion, and he's out of town. So of course we all agreed to that, and uh, <laughs> uh, he, he he lost uh, with seconds to go. Seconds to, to go, right? right. And uh, so that that's the way that went. And I think uh, another. I think Kurt another. Angle, oh yeah, Kurt Angle was there. Yep. 
the whole whole bunch of folks and and so many moments in the studio that were just uh, just outstanding. I think another time you were doing the show by yourself, if I'm not mistaken, was the time when Eddie Gilbert, Eddie and Doug Gilbert, ran over me in the parking lot. I don't know if I was by myself that day, but yeah, I was definitely there and and in <laughs> in somewhat shock. Uh, I know. For a couple of reasons. <laughs> One, I wanted to make sure that you know our star wasn't hurt, <laughs> and and number two. Uh, our parking lot was directly across the street <laughs> from a big Memphis Police Department precinct. <laughs> oh my! Right. And I said, "Oh man, the police are going to show up, and they're going da 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 da." And, all and they did. Stuff. They did. And they did. Uh, and uh, so that that was an interesting thing. Uh, speaking of police, another interesting thing um, that that I remember. Uh, one Saturday morning, I was doing the show, and all of a sudden, I noticed that the studio is surrounded by uniformed police officers and the producer says in my ear uh ken parnell he says do you know what's going on and i said no i don't (laughs) what is going on he said well he said somebody apparently has phoned in a threat against you and so the police are here and he said what how do you want to handle it i said we're going to finish the show and don't show the police on television because if you do some idiot will call in a, a, a something every week. Right. So that's that's the way we handled it. Well, after the show, the police lieutenant who, who became a friend came up. Or he was a captain actually, and he he said uh, somebody called and said, you know, somebody better get over there and take care of Dave Brown uh, <laughs> on that wrestling show. And he said, we don't think that it's a physical threat, but it could be. So he said, what you're going to do? He said, where are you going after the show? And he said, the only correct answer is home. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm going home. He said, well, I'm going to put a squad car in front of you. And I, I live 20 miles, 25 miles from the studio. Yeah, out in uh, On the interstate. Yeah. And he says, uh, I'm going to put a squad car in front of you and a squad car behind you. And you stay in between them. Well, we get home, and I get home, and Shelby County Sheriff's Department is all over my house. And they wouldn't even let me go in the house until they uh, went through. They went to the attic. They went to the basement. They went everywhere and searched the house to make sure that everything was fine. So that it turned out to be nothing, thank goodness. But it did turn out it was quite a memorable day that had absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with the wrestling show that day. <laughs> Speaking of the police, remember the time when uh, we had Billy Travis getting ready to be in this big big angle with me, oh, a big yeah. match with me coming up, and all, all of a sudden, apparently Billy was behind on his child support payments, <laughs> and the police showed up before before we went on the air to arrest Billy. And I'm saying, I'm saying, can you guys come on? Can you? He's, we got him figured. In. He's in the main event Monday night. We're going to bail him out. But can can he just do this interview for the show? And they said, No, Jerry, we can't do that. We can't let him do it. And I said, No, that's ridiculous. What's the deal? It's going to take ten minutes. They said, No, we got to take him right now. So remember, we we did the deal where we told the told our cameraman, All right, film Billy Travis as the police are taking him out of the building. Yeah. And and yeah. so Billy and I told Billy I said start blaming me as they're as they're when the cameras come on so all of a sudden the police they said no don't shoot us but we, we did anyway and they're arresting yeah. Billy and, and Billy's going Lawler I can't believe you're having me arrested you pay for this oh, get you. and it, it turned out to be a great thing you know <laughs> just getting yeah it was really happening and we turned it into part of the show I thought it was fabulous <laughs> there is nothing in the world oh, like pro wrestling. Well, guys, it's uh, we've we've kept Dave uh, longer than we told him we were going to keep him. But 
I mean, there, you, we could talk to you for for weeks or months. I mean, there's so so many things that just while we're sitting here that come to mind that I would love to ask you about and everything. But maybe maybe can we get you to come back again in the, in the future, Dave? I know, and absolutely. And Sean, you know, Dave told me I don't do I don't do podcasts. And I, I agree. This is one of those things I told Sean, Dave, that I, I hate to ask people to do this because a lot of people, it's not a great way to spend your your uh, morning or afternoon or whatever, to just to come on, sit down on the phone, and talk with me and you, Sean. But uh, so I really hate to ask people to do it. I'm always excited and, and overjoyed when somebody agrees to do it or volunteers to do it. And, and that was the deal with Dave. He said, you know, I don't ordinarily do it, but I'll do it for you. And Dave, I really do appreciate you doing this. Well, I'm glad to do it and uh, look forward to doing it next time and uh, see you at lunch. Okay, sounds good. All right. Dave, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's been an honor. Football season is here, and it's time to dominate the competition with your fantasy picks. And R.J. Bell's Green Preview on Podcast One Sportsnet is your secret weapon to victory. I said the fact they didn't run it up in week one tells me this guy is so confident he wants to hide his strength. No matter the matchup, R.J.'s got you handled with top-notch analysis for the best NFL picks around. Now, is that true or not? I don't know. Very optimistic. Download R.J. Bell's Green Preview every week on Apple Podcasts and podcast1.com.